Welcome to the Resonate Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Jacob. I, I truly believe this, that every church that is fixed in the truth and love of Jesus and is, is empowered by the Holy Spirit are about to see something shift and something change. And we're going to see, you know, and we've talked about it for years, we're going to see it harvest, but there's just something moving and shaping and and people are are moving away from this me-centred approach to life to this we approach, this need for community, this need for love, this need for family, this need for something. And, And the churches that keep fronting up in truth and love are going to see Incredible growth and an incredible harvest. And we want to be good stewards and, uh, and be a church that keeps fronting up. And the truth is, a lot of churches give away the victory before the fights even began because they have this failure mindset. No, oh, no one wants the church anymore. Oh, the church isn't growing anymore. We'll just do our own thing. You know what? You get, they've given up the fight before the fights even began. And the Bible says that we're more than conquerors. It says that the harvest is ready. Now, if you put those couple of things together, we turn up, we front up time and time again and no one believes and understands that the harvest is ready, that the greatest days are ahead of us. Jesus himself said that you're going to do greater things than I did. We're living in a time where this world's fractured, fearful and frustrated and the only thing that can ease troubled hearts is relationship to Jesus, is the power of the Holy Spirit coming in and killing fear, killing anxiety, killing frustration, killing failure mindsets, killing anything that holds us back. And so I hope that we can move from failure mindsets to faith-filled futures. You know, there's never been a season in the world's history where acts of love are more important than they are right now. And this is the last week of a three-week sermon series, or four weeks because I did an introduction. Um, and it's based out of 1 Samuel 17. And I say every week, I can't just read the whole chapter out to you because we'll be here for 17 minutes before I start talking. Um, but most of us know the headlines of that story anyway. Even if you've never read the chapter, you've heard of David and Goliath. Even if you never opened your Bible, you've heard of David and Goliath. And in this chapter, we see the Israelites and they're camped ready for battle, ready to fight this enemy, their arch enemy, the Philistines. And, and I say it week in, week out. It's just kind of like green and mundane. They're always just fighting. There's always exchange of words. There's just, it's like, how many fights have they had now? Are they going to go again? And we know the Israelites are God's people. And so the army of God, and they're promised and purposed for a wonderful and powerful future. And, and church, let me say this. If you are God's people, if, you, if you're connected to Jesus, if you're given your life to Jesus, and you're purposed and promised for a wonderful future. You know, and so we can stop fretting about all the things that are worrying and scary and wrong in our world and start understanding that we are on the winning side, that our life is filled with hope, is filled with promise here in this life and the next. But while the Israelites were promised and purposed for a wonderful and powerful future, we see in this chapter because of Goliath, they're roadblocked. Their journey's halted. They're frozen by fear. They were fixed down by frustration and they were fueled by a mindset of failure. And if I could ask you one question today, church, I'd ask, what fuels you? What fuels you, church? If it's fear that you're fueled by, then you're stationary. If it's frustration that you're fueled by, then you become erratic. If it's failure, then you're just simply flat. But if it's faith, 
then all of a sudden you're moving and you're flowing forward into that fantastic future filled with victory, filled with breakthrough and positioning yourself not just to have a great life for yourself, but to be and help others to have a great life also. And in this series we look at in the Bible and we see and we use this analogy of marriage, right? And the Bible says that we're married to faith as Christians. It tells us that we're the bride of Christ. And I get that for blokes that's hard, right? I don't want to be the bride. I'm the groom. I'm a bloke. I'm a man. I know, but we'll just deal with it, all right? The Bible says it. So, so we're married to faith, yet sometimes as Christians we cheat on our marriage to faith with fear. And we cheat on our marriage to faith with frustration. And we cheat on our marriage to faith with failure. And just as Goliath roadblocked the Israelites' future, we have giants in our lives that roadblock our future, that stop us from living and dancing in in our bridal waltz in our marriage to faith. Last week I said it's like we're dirty dancing with frustration or with fear or with failure. And so in this series so far, and it's on YouTube and on podcasts, if you haven't listened to it and want to go back and listen to it, we've talked about, we've addressed and we've killed the giant that is fear and we've addressed and killed the giant that is frustration and now it's time to look at, to understand, to know the giant of failure. And, and I talk about these three as being the triplets. Fear, frustration and failure. They're three triplet giants and when you marry one of them, you breed other giants because out of frustration, anger flows. Out of fear, anxiety flows. And they can all grow and become giants in our lives that roadblock us from our future. So we need to read the story of 1 Samuel 17, understanding this point. Perhaps we're not David in the story as we've often preached, as I've preached before, but perhaps Jesus is David in this story. You know, because the truth is we aren't strong enough on our own to kill these giants. So Jesus, David, comes and kills our Goliath, the giant that's roadblocking our future. And what we're dealing with is the ghosts of these giants that haunt us day to day. And it's our job to kill that ghost, to stop allowing that ghost that haunts us to stop us from moving forward in faith. And let me tell you, we've killed the giant of failure already. And I'm going to tell you straight up how we get rid of that ghost because if you fall asleep in this comfy venue, at least you go home knowing. We kill the giant of failure by looking past our current circumstances and way beyond into our future. You see, the army are looking across the valley and they're looking at the bottom of the valley and and in that valley, in their valley, they see Goliath. Had they looked to the hills, had they looked above to the mountains above and understood what God was doing, maybe then they wouldn't have stayed there for 40 days with this failure mindset. And so we kill the giant of failure when our eyes look above current circumstances and our eyes look beyond the now into the next. Church, a failure mentality is about short-sightedness, not big picture vision. We do well to look past that to the mountains rather than fix our eyes in the valley. See, we get a true measure of success and failure by looking past the now, by looking past current circumstances and into the distance, into the future. You know, hey, parents, listen to me now. Don't judge parenthood on what your kids are like now. Judge it on how they are when they're 75, when they've run their race. 
Don't judge ministry. Don't judge effectiveness by numbers you have now or, or responses or salvations or anything like that. Judge it on when the people that you've sown into are now producing fruit. You know, I know of a minister, a pastor, a leader who had just 12 in his primary congregation that not only heard his sermons, they'd lived with him for nearly three years. Yet not one of them fully grasped 100% buying into his message that he sought to teach them. Not only had they failed to understand his repeated predictions of his death and resurrection, but not one of them appears to have their life fully surrendered before his crucifixion because one betrayed him. You know, his lead disciple cursed and swore they didn't know him and, and all of them are disputing it about who's going to be the greatest, who's two I see. You know, right up as they were going to Gethsemane, the disciples are still hung up on this topic, but, but who's, the, who's the man? You know, obviously after Jesus, who's, who, who's next? You know, but Jesus was always preaching to them. His sermons to them were actually were, were servant leaders. It's not about power. Yet it was these very 12, 11, that Jesus had entrusted the leadership of the church going forwards. So talk about failure. Why would you allow these guys who didn't get what you were preaching, who, who let you down time and time again, well, here, go and be the leaders. You guys are the next generation. See, Jesus had come to the end of his earthly ministry and it doesn't appear that any of the disciples really heard what he was talking about. They didn't really get it. They were, you know, we talk about leaning in and leaning out and then just in the between. They were kind of in between. They weren't fully in because three years of intense preaching and training, both theory and workplace practice, the best type you can get, a bit of both, without full commitment from his core group. Three years of radical preaching and his audience had failed to respond. You know, how would you have felt in... That situation makes me feel better about sermons if I'm preaching well and no one's responding. <laughs> but as he hung on a cross, passers-by mocked him, you know, wagging, shaking their heads, saying, you said you'd destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. And in similar fashion, the leaders of the Jews mocked him, saying he saves others but he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he says, I am the son of God. If I had been Jesus at that point, capable of coming down from that cross, I would have come down from that cross and I would have brought all sorts of power on those guys. (laughs) Thankfully, I'm not Jesus. And yet he went to his grave, an apparent failure. If his leadership, if his ministry had been judged simply by what meets the human eye and is valued by typical human standards, Jesus should have folded up his sermon notes, handed in his credential cards and walked away. That's the truth. If we judge it by earthly standards. Truth is on that measure, I don't want to be like Jesus. You know, Christians repeatedly have those say that thing, you know, I want to be like Jesus. Now, what would Jesus do is that slogan that's on wristbands that we wear about. But, but in this area, I find it really difficult to want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be a Christian leader who on the measures of this world fails. You know, and let's be truthful. What standards will you judge my next 32 years of leading Resonate Church on? 
till I'm 65 and then maybe I'll let someone else um, pastor the church and I'll just help out for 10 years and then I'll retire at 75. Just got it all figured out. But what measure did you judge your last leader on? And personally, we don't do well with discouraging days and negative, thick-headed people like Jesus seems to always be around. And in those times and in those moments, I can get frustrated. I entertain the giant of frustration. And too quickly it breeds other giants of anger and self-doubt and it introduces me to another triplet, the giant of failure. And then the giant of failure comes along and he whispers in my ear, well, you're not good enough to grow a church, Jacob. Well, what about those youth that you discipled a while ago who don't follow God anymore? Good job discipling them, Jacob. You're too young. You're still too young. How can you pastor people twice your age? And when I listen to these voices... If I listen to those voices, we all do sometimes, let's be frank. If I listen to those voices, those ghosts haunting me, it's easy to go, well, maybe ministry would be better off without me. And all of a sudden, instead of understanding the victory and purpose, I start living in a failure mindset. The truth is I I like success. (laughs) not going to lie about it. In fact, We all thrive on it, right? And I don't just mean success in the future, I mean success today, where we can see it, smell it, grasp it, touch it, and best of all, count it and report it, mark it down as KPIs and let it be known. That's what we like as people. And I bet everyone here is just like that, is just like me. And so we don't want to be like Jesus. We don't want to be like the leader to according to all the earthly leadership manuals failed. I don't want to see results happening when I'm dead, when I'm gone. I'm greedy. I want them both now and into the future. So in a sense, I kind of want to be greater than Jesus. I want everything that I touch to be a shining success. The only problem is that desire doesn't always come true. I've had to face the same problems and the same kinds of people that Jesus faced. And the sad truth is too often... I've had those same results that a group of people like this, the, the young people that I discipled when I was a youth pastor, you spend time with them day after day and they're not hearing what you're saying. One of my biggest devastations and the thing that can haunt me if I let it is that two young guys in, in our youth group in Batemans Bay who we spent you know four odd years with and and there was times when they were living in our house. There was times where we were just sowing into them, you know, over and above sacrificially. And, uh, and you could just see there's a call of God in their life. You could just see the potential in their worlds. You know, you'd love right now for them to be pastoring somewhere. And right now they're not walking with God. It sucks. Yet I've discovered this. And I'm learning it. And I have to teach myself and remind myself every day that apparent failure and ultimate failure are not the same thing. See, Pastor Jensen Franklin would say that those two young boys are just working on their testimonies. They may not be in ministry now, they may not be following God right now, but they're still breathing, so they aren't done yet. I planted some good seeds. Gosh, I planted some good seeds in good soil. And now I've got to pray. Keep praying that they'll get watered by somebody else and one day the fruit will come to fruition. You know, and let me ask you, because we've all been in similar situations, we all have similar stories of people that we've walked this Christian life with, that we've sown seeds into day after day, that we've shown love to. Are we praying that those seeds that are sown are getting watered? 
And it's the same way I am also in Christ's ministry. And this is why by all outward standards, in the immediate, he appeared to be a failure. Even though he had planted and he'd watered, it wasn't until his resurrection and at Pentecost that the fruit came to maturity. And this kind of experience in life can be ours also. You know, we're often too quick to make a call of failure rather than running the rest of the race and finding out how it could have gone down. I know of people who planted a church in Naruma around 15 years ago and after six months they only had a core group, only had a core group of 20 people, which I think is spectacular. But for them they felt like they'd failed. So what did they do? They called it early and they closed it down. Imagine had they not. Imagine what could have been there today had they not. They looked at the immediate and sensed they were failing. They had the wrong measure and they were short-sighted. Imagine if they decided not to measure success or failure in the first five years, not by numbers, not by expectations, but simply trust God that they were called to do this thing and that He'd sent them. Church, stop valuing yourself, stop labelling yourself, judging yourself and measuring your life on the immediate, but measure it on the eventual. Because our premature declaration of failure impacts what we do next. Why did the Israelites have a mindset of failure regarding the fight with Goliath? Because they called it too soon, before the fight had even gone down, prematurely, with short-sightedness. It was, wow, Goliath's big, he yells loud, they call in the champion from Gath. They called it too soon. Only looking at the immediate, in the valley between them rather than mountains and seeing that God is at work even when we don't see it. Church, don't call it too soon. Don't look at the now. Don't look at the valley. Fix your eyes above into the distance to the mountains. You're saying, Jacob, why are you saying mountains? Great question. Thank you for asking. A couple of things. The Bible uses mountains as an analogy of power. In the Old Testament, God chose most often to reveal His glory on the mountaintops, for example, with Moses. And we see in the New Testament that continues, it follows suit with Jesus and the transfiguration taking place on the mountaintop. That's where God chose to show those disciples and all of us as recorded in Scripture, His full glory being revealed after such a long time. And what I love is in the Old Testament through a story we see a picture that shows us that we can't see what's happening necessarily in the mountains or we can see what's happening in the valley in front of us. We do know that God is at work and that work will flow out from the mountains and bring you exactly what you need to succeed. In Second Chronicles 20, we see a, a leader called Jehoshaphat and he was in a pretty bad situation. He was trapped, he was cornered by a wrong choice and wrong connections, and he'd aligned himself with the wrong people, with wrong nations, and got involved in a war against Moab. And so he found himself for seven days in a desert with his army and no water. Seven days. It's a long time to go without water. And they're in a desperate situation, but God made a way where it seemed like there was no way. The prophet Elisha instructed Jehoshaphat to dig channels into the desert valley. And in the morning, while it didn't rain in that valley, the ditches were full of water. And the water provided for them 
proved to be the deliverance from thirst and their victory over their enemies. Now, how that happens? Well, it started raining, not in the valley, but over in the mountain. And it flowed down and it filled the valley. See, we get caught up in the moments, in the actual, in the now, in our circumstance, in the difficulty we see ourselves trapped in. And I'm not here to say that we don't go through hard stuff. We do. And we get downcast and downtrodden. We think it's hopeless and we see no victory. But the Bible says we live by faith and not by sight. So you might not be able to see the victory, but faith knows the victory is in the mountains. See, God's always at work. We only see the immediate, but God sees the end result. And he makes a way always for his people when it seems there is no way. And I, I, I want to give a word to some people today, and I know it's incredibly important for where you're at in the valley you face right now. Don't call it too soon. Don't call it a failure. Don't call it too soon. Look past the now. Look past your valley and look into the mountains because God is at work there. See, Goliath, he's taunting the Israelites for 40 days. They looked at him across the valley. They didn't look at the mountains, but imagine if they did. I wonder what they would have seen. Maybe they would have seen David training, fighting a bear, fighting a lion, walking down, coming to the place. Because while they're stranded, while they're roadblocked, David's on his way to his destiny. You know, what's God doing right now that you can't see to make a way for you through your valley? The army of Jehoshaphat trapped in the desert, desperate, thinking they would die. They looked around and all they saw was sand, no water, no way out. And they're not stupid. You know, no water for a fair amount of time means you die. But church, they called it too soon. Church, when we take our eyes off the short-term situation, we can look ahead to the mountains and know, I may not understand it, I may not even like it, but God's at work. And as He made that wonderful, majestic mountain ahead of me, He's at work in my situation and He's going to provide rain if I need rain. He's going to provide wisdom if I need wisdom. He's going to provide hope if I need hope. He's going to provide strength if I need strength. He's going to provide power if I need power. He's going to provide strategy and ways out if I need strategy and ways out. And the Bible tells us that all things work together for good, but it doesn't say that all things are good. You know, we love twisted Pentecostals, especially us. We love just hyping it up. All things work together for good. You know, we forget to mention that, you know, it doesn't say that all things are good. So it means that you might be in a valley right now. A valley's not good, but it works together for good. And maybe as you're tracking through your valley, maybe as God's working in the mountains, He's going to give you the strength and the character as you walk up that mountain. And I want to tell you that as God builds you and gives you strength from on top of that mountain, maybe you're going to be God's work in the mountains for someone else in their valley. So you might be in a valley right now and you might have a mindset of failure. You might think, I'm a loser. You're not a loser. You haven't failed. Don't call it too soon. Church, take your eyes off the immediate and put your eyes into the mountains. God is at work. And the truth is, that means focusing on faith. And faith is being sure of what we hope for. Now, hope in the Bible isn't this 
antsy-pantsy, fairy, I hope it might happen, maybe it'll happen. Hope is confidence in God because you know that he will come through. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of things we cannot see. You don't need to see what God's up to in the mountains. I know we want to. You don't need to see what God's up to in the mountains. But know that he is for you, for you're in Christ and you can't fail. And so we bust, we kill this ghost giant of failure by looking past it to the mountains, which is about faith much bigger and much greater than the giant that you think is before you and trying to block your path. So don't acknowledge it. You'll kill the giant of failure by not acknowledging it, by not calling it too soon. And church, I just want to leave you with that thought. And if the music team want to come up, don't call it too soon. If you've got children away from the Lord right now, they're working on their testimony. Don't call it too soon. You know, if, if you're like me with family members who seem so far from God, lost through mental health and a range of other circumstances, don't call it too soon. Don't label it a failure. Don't call it too soon. Don't look in that valley. Look past that valley into the mountains and know God is at work. I can't see what he's doing. I don't understand it. I don't even like what's happening right now. But God is at work and he will provide a way. Because when we pray in accordance with his will, you know, it's important that we add that in his will. And I could pray for lots of things that I want. We pray for things that we need, not things we greet. And God is at work. I'm going to pray this morning and uh, our music team are going to sing a song and I just ask you to stand and, uh, and sing. If you need prayer for anything, if you feel like you're in a valley and you just need strength to look past that valley, to live by faith and not by sight, to, to know that God's working in the mountains, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray confidence and faith into your heart so that you can work with God through the valley and not call it too soon. Let me pray and then the music team are going to sing and we're going to sing and stand. And I'd love to pray with people this morning. Father God, thank you that you're always at work. That we might be roadblocked by a giant. We might be looking across the valley and all we see is fear, all we see is failure, all we see is frustration the three triplets. Father God, we just thank you that you are David in our story, that you come and you've already killed our giants. And Lord, no longer will we let the ghosts of those giants haunt us. We're going to give our lives to you, surrender fully to you. We're not going to measure things according to this earth, but we're going to measure things according to our citizenship, and that is heaven. Because we're citizens of heaven the minute we call upon your name and are saved. And we're not going to look into the valley in front of us. We're going to look beyond to the hills and know in faith that you're for us, that you're always working with us, for us, and you're leading us through that valley and in your power to the mountaintops. Thank you, Father God. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Podcast. Jesus, my love, my God.